lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he, was, and, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we give you thanks that you've gathered us this day. Thank you for your day, the Sabbath. We ask, Lord, that you would cause us to honor it and love it, not out of duty, though it is our duty, but out of devotion to you for all you've done for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Take away a man's Sabbath, and his religion soon comes to nothing. As a general rule, there's a regular flight of steps down from no Sabbath to no God. Bishop uh, J.C. Ryle wrote that in the middle of the 19th century as he started to see things decline in the church and people honoring the Sabbath. And today we're going to look at the fourth commandment. I want to ask you a couple questions first. Why do you come to church? Because it's the right thing to do? To worship and glorify God? Is it to interact with people you like? Is it to have a nice activity that you do now and then to kind of check the spiritual box of your soul? Why do you come to church? Is this commandment just about coming to church, the fourth commandment? Turn back with me to the front of the bulletin. There's a reason that we say these Ten Commandments once a month, the beginning of the month, typically, unless a major feast falls on it. And read with me at the top of page two. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And we all say, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Well, what does Sabbath mean? What is it? Is it just about coming to church? No, I don't think so. If we look back, it is about coming to church, but it's about much, much more. You see, the word Sabbath is literally the day for to cease. To cease. To rest. To celebrate. To cease from what we do the rest of the week. Forty-five times it occurs in the Pentateuch. God is really serious about his people observing the Sabbath both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was a capital crime not to keep it. And there's at least one instance in Deuteronomy of someone being executed for bundling sticks on the Sabbath. 
So God is really serious about keeping holy the Sabbath. And if you look with me at the gospel passage today, Mark chapter 2, look with me particularly at verse 27 about what our Lord Jesus says. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Like all God's commandments, number four is a gift as well as a law. And the Lord gives us this gift for three reasons that I want to bring out today. Number one, it's a gift and command for covenant worship. We're going to talk about what that means. Number two, it's a gift and command of freedom. Number three, it's a gift and command of life. So let's look at the first one. It's a gift and command for covenant worship. The first thing we ought not to take for granted is that the Sabbath is a gift from God for his people. And he expects it to be a mark of his people. Well, what does this mean? It means that, as we spoke last week, we have this tremendous privilege of being in a personal relationship with God, and that we can't take that lightly. Leviticus tells us, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. God brings us as his people into his presence. We're not fit to enter his presence on our own. And we can't take that for granted. In Exodus 19, just before God gives the Ten Commandments to his people, he actually has them put a perimeter around Mount Sinai, around the holy mountain, so that people don't venture up and are accidentally killed by the presence of God Almighty. Now that seems kind of foreign to us, doesn't it? Because we live on this side of the cross. And yet, that God is still God. There is still an awesome power, a majesticness of who God is. And we can't take lightly that we, should we be in his presence, would be zapped away. No one has the right or the ability to approach God. He reaches out to us. He gives us that right with reverence in Jesus Christ. And we can worship God because he calls us, not because we look for him, because he reveals himself to us, not because we try to go and find him. Now it's true, if we try to find him, it is his will and love that he will reveal himself to us. But let's not forget whose initiative it is. Secondly, as part of being a covenant people, we have this thing called the atonement the atonement. Some of you have heard this before. Do you know where the word atonement comes from? Anybody? Yes? It's made up. Who made it up? Wycliffe. He made the word up atonement because there was no word in English that could describe the relationship God wanted to have with his covenant people. And so if you break atonement apart... What does it say? 
at one meant. At one meant. Atonement, at one meant. It means that God gives us this ability to be part of his chosen people, to be part of his covenant. But he gives us that ability at a costly price. In the Old Testament, the atonement was made with the blood of goats and bulls, killed and sprinkled on the people and on the altar. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 29 says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and do not do any work, whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then the Lord, then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Well, what's Leviticus saying here? Leviticus is saying that part of this at-one-ment with God is taking a Sabbath. Part of this being part of God's chosen people is taking a Sabbath. In the New Testament, this sin offering and this idea of a scapegoat, the animal that was killed, are combined in a person who, of course, we know to be Jesus Christ. A once-for-all sacrifice to make us worthy to stand in God's presence. Jesus said, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to, him, to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know that. They're the words of the Last Supper. But the Last Supper is that atonement made for us when Jesus died on the cross. So the worship of God on the Sabbath is not a right, but a privilege and a grace. And the Sabbath is a command to exercise that privilege and grace. Whereas we were enemies of God, now in Jesus, because of the atonement, you and I, friends, are sons and daughters. And we're invited to this table weekly, weekly, to approach God in His holiness, to receive God into ourselves weekly. Do you see how amazing that actually is? We go from not being able to even go up the mountain to ascending the mountain to the table and being seated with the Holy God because of Jesus. St. Paul writes to the Roman church, God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, that's the atonement, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For, if we were en for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Secondly, the gift of the Sabbath is a gift of freedom. Many don't see the Sabbath as a gift of freedom that it is, but God actually makes it really clear in Scripture, if, we're bothered to, if we bother to read it. Look with me at the Deuteronomy passage that we read together. It's on the front of the green sheet there. And look down at Deuteronomy 5.15. It's the last line on that page. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Why does that come directly after the command to keep the Sabbath? Let's keep going. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And then while you got that open, look with me over at um, the psalm because it's reiterated in verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I shall fill it. But my people would not hear my voice and Israel would not obey me. You see, that's our natural tendency to not hear his voice, to not obey him, to not keep the Sabbath. But look at verse 16. But Israel, I would feed with the finest wheat and with honey out of the stony rock would I satisfy him. There we have an allusion to the Eucharist. So do you see, the Sabbath's second point is all about freedom. Why does God give the Israelites this gift of freedom? Where were they before they come out into the desert with Moses? Not a trick question. Before the Exodus, where were they? They were slaves in Egypt. Yeah. You think they had a Sabbath while they were slaves in Egypt? No. Do you think Pharaoh was like, oh yeah, take a break from building that pyramid? Nope. And so here we see the Sabbath is a gift to God's people of freedom to be able to cease from work. And yet, what do we do with this gift? Do we receive it happily? No, we grumble about it. We say, oh, I have to go to church, or man, that sermon is so long, or, you know, boy, it's such work to get up in the morning, to get there by 10.30. Oh, boo-hoo. The Sabbath isn't just a command. It's a mark of covenant. It's a mark of who you are in Jesus. And it's something that God gives you for health and wholeness. Creation and salvation are two aspects of one theological reality, says scholar Childs. Think about that. Creation and salvation are two aspects of one theological reality. That means that the Sabbath is instituted for us to free us and to help us get back to good health. God knows we need a break. God knows we need time to spend with Him. God knows that we are fond of wandering off and getting ourselves entangled in things and overscheduling ourselves and being too busy. He knows that. He made you. He made me. The same God that creates us and saves us commands us to be free from that entanglement once a week. Think about what we pray together in the words of Zechariah in evening prayer. It's called the Benedictus in the prayer book, but it's from Luke chapter 1, verse 74. We, we say this as a canticle. This was the oath that he, that is God, swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear. We just got done with a Memorial Day where we talked about, um, uh, as a culture, being grateful to our soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen. I think I got them all there, right? Uh, we talk about being grateful for them and remembering them because they, there were those that died so that we could be free here as a nation. And yet, do we consider that God sacrificed so that you could be free to worship Him? Think about that. The Sabbath is that gift of freedom. 
So friends, run back to it. Run away from those slaveries of all sorts. And where God commands to give worship, rest, and freedom, obey him. Don't try to fill this day with sports games and practices. Don't try to fill this day as people try to pressure you to be too busy going to various events. Don't overschedule yourself. Don't do the housework today, unless in the housework you can pray and be close to your God. Rest in the freedom. We see a void here as human beings, and we want to fill it. But I want to encourage you to make the Sabbath an event on your calendar. Make the Sabbath an event. Don't make your life one endless string of work. Or as Bishop Ryle says, a long unbroken chain of work, work, unceasing work. That is not God's will for you. So stop it. The Sabbath is a gift of life for mind, body, and soul. We need it. You know, medical studies have shown this, that, that if we don't take that break, we get sick. Why do you suppose that is? You see, the Lord in his wisdom knew what he was talking about. So take off this modern shackle of cramming everything that you couldn't get done during the week onto the Lord's Sabbath. And maybe take a break from uh, some of those uh, digital obligations that you have, that you've put on yourself. Don't scroll through Facebook today. Don't go to your email today. Are you looking at that and getting all riled up every day of the week? Let Sunday be a difference, make a difference. Take a break, not just because God commands it, which he does, but because it's good for you. Is your body worn? Are you emotionally exhausted? Do you always feel tired? Take a look at your habits. Now, I have to confess that I stand guilty with you on this. The Sabbath is not always a day of rest for me. In fact, usually, because I'm working, it's not a rest, day of rest for me. However, I try to make Monday my Sabbath instead. And I know some of you have to work on Sundays. Do you take another day? I know you can't always be at church. Do you open up the BCP in your Bible and go through one of the services? You can do that. You don't need me to do that. There's ways to honor the Sabbath if you have to work on Sunday. There's ways to honor the Sabbath if you're forced by our culture not to do it. But the first way to honor the Sabbath is to keep it. To keep it in some way. To not schedule things. To rest. Not just because it's a commandment, but it's a costly privilege. The price of the Sabbath day's rest is none other than Jesus' flesh and blood. Holy communion. That's why we celebrate that on the Sabbath. So I want to encourage you to abandon that game that you want to watch or that practice that you have to be at or that marathon that you might partake in or any number of the myriad of distractions that our culture throws at you. Just try to look Jesus in the face on the cross and tell him that such and such 
that practice, that game, is more important than him. Than him. Try that sometime. See how that changes your perspective. And if you can't do it mentally, get yourself a crucifix or an icon. You know, not one of those pretty crosses that you can look at as a, desert, as a, as a decoration, but something with our Lord and Savior nailed right on it. And tell that to him. Lord, this is more important than that. Hmm. That'll put you in your place, won't it? There are things in our control. I know that there's things outside of our control too. So what's Jesus saying here in the gospel? Is he going light on the Sabbath? No, he's reminding us that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's Jesus doing here in Mark as he's walking through the fields and his disciples are plucking off the grain and eating? He's talking with them, right? But if you know your scripture, you know that there's more than that. You know that Jesus is actually on his way to the synagogue. Because if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew, from this passage, Jesus goes directly from here into the synagogue and heals somebody. So Jesus is on his way to church as the Pharisees are mocking him and telling him that he's not keeping the Sabbath. And then he goes, in, he goes into the church, he goes into the synagogue, and he heals somebody, and they continue to get on him because he's healed on the Sabbath now. Oh, well, you know, what's the one exception for doing work on the Sabbath is to help other people. To help other people. That too is a gift. But that's another sermon. So I won't get into that. I know your time's valuable. But keeping the Sabbath day and keeping the Sabbath and making it holy is looking at an entire day. And it's the mark of an immature Christian that wants short teaching fast sermons, and a quick liturgy so that they can get on with whatever they want. It's not a show that you come to. Church is not an event that you come to to tick that thing off in your soul that makes you a spiritual person. It's an act of service and devotion. So how does looking at it that way, how does that change our view of the Sabbath? How does it change your view of Sunday worship? Should it be done just lengthily and sloppily with no planning? No, that's not what we're saying. But it should be done with thought and direction, with reverence and awe. There's a great prayer in the Book of Common Prayer on page 123, and I suggest you get into the practice of saying it before you go to sleep on Saturday, because it's a really good practice to frame your mind for the Sabbath. I'll post it later. It goes like this. O oh God, the source of all eternal light, shed forth your unending day upon us who watch for you, that our lips may praise you, our lives may bless you, and our worship on the morrow give you glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Is observing the Sabbath just taking yourself to church? No, it is that, but it's actually planning for the day. It's actually making the day set aside because if we don't plan it, it doesn't happen. 
Some of you remember the days when there were blue laws on the books and um, the grocery stores were closed, the gas stations were closed. You had to go and do those things on Saturday before Sunday or you just went without. Just because our civil society has abandoned the goods of the Sabbath doesn't mean that we as God's Christian people ought to abandon the goods of the Sabbath. Make the day special. Plan it. Say, I'm going to be at church from 10 to 1. It's a small fraction of the day, friends. And then you'll be free to interact with people. Then you won't be in such a rush. Then you won't be going on to the next event. You'll actually be able to reflect. You see, that's one of the traps of our society is it keeps us from reflecting. Plan to come here early. You know, parking's a problem here. Try to get here 15 minutes early. You might get here just five minutes early, but it'll give you some time to come in and, and sit in the sanctuary and just look at the cross. Just look at the altar. Just see how much Jesus loves you. Lay your clothes out before you come to church. Lay your clothes out Saturday night. I know. This is not rocket science, right? But let's get down to the nitty-gritty. If you don't want to be in a hurry, know where that piece of clothing is so that in the morning you're not in a hurry. You can do that with your children's clothes, too. You can do that with all sorts of things. And plan on hanging out afterwards. And if you can't hang out afterwards, sit around the table with your friends or your family and talk about the sermon. Talk about what God said to you. Talk about how amazing Jesus is. You can do that in your own home. Have a conversation. Reflect on the readings. There's any number of things we can do. But think of the Sabbath as the thing that it truly is. A gift. A gift of covenant. A gift of freedom. A gift of life. Remember that flight of stairs? It shows how all time is holy to God and looks to the end where we're going to be in His presence forevermore. In a sense, Sunday, the Sabbath, is training for eternity. Take away a man's Sabbath and his religion soon comes to nothing. As a general rule, there's a regular flight of steps down from no Sabbath to no God. So where are you on those steps? What direction are you facing? Now, understand, if you have to work, I know that happens. But is there a way you can switch with somebody? Is there a way you can not work on Sunday mornings? Have you even bothered to ask your manager? Take it seriously. And if you, can't, if you have to work, if you can't come to church because of some obligation, try to come on Thursday. And I know it's during the work day. But if nothing else, open the BCP and say morning prayer yourself. There are always ways to keep the Sabbath. It's no coincidence that this season of Trinity Tide, which focuses on the work of the church, begins with this commandment. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? We go from Pentecost being sent out to the world, we're ready to go, and what does God say to us the first Sunday of Trinity Tide? Rest. Rest, church, before you go. Rest and know me before you go. It's no coincidence, friends. 
All good work starts with devotion to God. All good industry begins with Sabbath rest. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to take this commandment seriously. We ask, Lord, that we would see it not as a burden, but as a reminder that you want to be in relationship with us, that you want to be at table with us, that you want us to be able to love you more. Help us, Lord, to unshackle ourselves. Help us to live into our identity as your sons and daughters, for we were bought with a costly price. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.